Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. Last year's Elvis was a flashy biopic about the life of Elvis Presley. This year, Sofia Coppola directs a very different film about the life of his wife, Priscilla. The new movie Priscilla stars Kaylee Spaney and Jacob Elordi as Priscilla and Elvis. But this isn't a typical biopic. It focuses more on mood than on recreating famous moments in music history. I'm Aisha Harris. And I'm Stephen Thompson. Today we are talking about Priscilla on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining us today is Switched On Pop producer Rihanna Cruz. Hey, Rihanna. Howdy. And also with us, Kristen Meinzer. She co-hosts The Daily Fail, a podcast that does comedic close readings of the tabloids. She also co-hosts How To Be Fine, a podcast that looks at the good and bad of the wellness industry. Hey, Kristen. Hey, thanks so much for having me back. It is great to have you both. So Priscilla tells the story of Priscilla Beaulieu starting when she was an isolated 14-year-old living in West Germany, where her stepfather was serving in the U.S. Air Force. At the time, Elvis was a 24-year-old superstar who'd recently enlisted in the army. The film shows how they meet, spend time together, fall in love, and get married, only to unravel due to a combustible mix of drugs, fame, jealousy, abuse, loneliness, parental responsibilities, and more. The film stars Kaylee Spaney as Priscilla and Jacob Elordi as Elvis, and it covers the span of their romantic relationship from before they met until their split in the early 70s. But the film isn't a by-the-book biopic. It's a moodier look at the way Priscilla is walled off in a gilded cage, isolated from friends and family, and also kept at a distance from Elvis's day-to-day life of superstardom. The film is written and directed by Sofia Coppola, who's made films like Lost in Translation and The Virgin Suicides, and it's based on Priscilla Presley's memoir, Elvis and Me. She's one of the executive producers on the film. It's in theaters now. Kristen Meinzer, I'm going to start with you. What did you think of Priscilla? I thought this was exactly what we all needed after Baz Luhrmann's terrible movie. (laughs) Wow, okay. Shots fired. (laughs) Which, by the way, what a bait and switch that movie was. It's called Elvis, but it really should have been called The Colonel. It made me so mad. I went into this movie thinking, we're going to see Elvis, we're going to see Priscilla. Priscilla, I think, is on screen for about 30 seconds during that entire movie. (laughs) And when it was done, all I could think is, please, somebody make a movie just about Priscilla. And then my dreams came true with this. Very fast, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. And it is so loyal to... Priscilla's memoir, which I first read when it came out in paperback, and I just happened to have listened to the audiobook version this year because I wanted to hear it in her own words, how she decided to deliver some of these sentences on the written page. It's fascinating to see how loyal this movie is to how she writes her book. When Priscilla in the book is 14 and first meeting Elvis, for example, Priscilla, the author, is seeing everything through the eyes of a 14-year-old. She's not seeing it through the eyes of a middle-aged woman who is editorializing and saying, oh my God, isn't that kind of creepy? I was 14 at the time. She totally throws herself into every moment and lives it. And I think the movie does the same thing. When we first see Priscilla meeting Elvis at 14, we feel what it's like to be 14 years old. We see why she is blown away by the idea of meeting him face-to-face. We 
walk through those moments with her family where she's saying, I know what I'm doing. I want to I, I want to talk to him and he wants to talk to me. And I remember being that age and feeling like I know what's going on, even if maybe I didn't know what was going on. So I think the movie really captures Priscilla as Priscilla sees herself, if that makes sense. Yeah. How about you, Rihanna? <laughs> I'm going to give a, a complete 180 here. So I'm usually <laughs> into mood pizzas. This one, the I, I don't think it necessarily landed for me. I, I think it's perfectly fine and even like erring on the side of good. But unfortunately for me, it suffers from comparison syndrome because the whole time I was thinking about Elvis, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, a movie that I really love and that takes up a lot of space <laughs> wow. in my brain. No, yeah. I mean, I I really like that movie. It was one of my favorites of, of last year. And I, I think about it often. And even though Sofia Coppola's take isn't necessarily about Elvis, it's about Priscilla, there was the looming like threat of comparison on my brain the entire time. Yeah. Where like when the scenes, for example, where Elvis is taking calls with the colonel and you don't hear the colonel or see the colonel, my brain implicitly was like, oh, Tom Hanks is on the other end of that line. <laughs> you mean Foghorn Leghorn? You will perform Santa Claus is exactly. coming to town. <laughs> exactly. But like that movie is so over the top that I think the mutedness of Priscilla falters a little bit in the minds, I think, of of the audience that really liked and appreciated Elvis. And I think the timing of Priscilla kind of soured the movie in general for me because Elvis is so big and bombastic as a movie and, and as a figure that I think the timing kind of messed up how, how the movie was perceived for me. But that was like the main thing that I kept thinking about the whole time where I was like, Jacob Elordi isn't necessarily as good as Austin Butler for me. Oh, like the Colonel, you know, he's not on screen, but I implicitly am like, it's Tom Hanks. You know what I mean? Like, it's like <laughs> that comparison for me detracted from the movie, which it's doing its own thing. And I really respect that. But that's why it kind of faltered in my noggin. I wonder I wonder if Tom Hanks in his obituary, the first line is going to be about him playing the colonel in Elvis. I think about it often. I, I think about the colonel nearly every day of my life. That and David S. Pumpkins. That's, that's exactly, exactly, exactly. How about you, Aisha? Uh, I think I, I fall somewhere in between Rihanna and Kristen where, mm -hmm. look, I really did not like Elvis, the movie, the Baz Luhrmann movie. And I think what really annoyed me about that film was that it really infantilized him and made him, like, the whole focus is on him being a mama's boy who's manipulated by the colonel. And what I like about this movie, Elvis fans are probably going to hate me, is that, like, he comes out of this looking like, out of Priscilla, looking like a manipulative, egotistical dirtbag. Mm -hmm. For all of the fact that, like, this is Priscilla looking back and, and we see through her eyes and um, I don't think obviously she's been the executor of his state and they remained friends before he died so like she doesn't hate Elvis but I come out of this being like oh my god I hate Elvis <laughs> like he was terrible <laughs> to her and what I what I think works about this movie is that like it works as a really great and interesting blueprint and play-by-play -play for what it's like to be in an abusive relationship and not feel as though you are in an abusive relationship mm -hmm. but as a biopic itself uh, and when I think about a biopic and one of the things it's supposed to do or we want them to do usually is to be some sort of character study. Mm. And by the end of this film, I thought 
you know, I thought there was going to be maybe like another 30 to 40 minutes left. Yeah. And then like it ends. And I was like, wait, so who is Priscilla? Because yeah. it ends. This isn't a spoiler, I don't think. But like it ends with her saying like, I, I'm I'm leaving you. And then like her driving off to Dolly Parton singing, I will always love you. And <laughs> we at the end of this film, I felt as though. I understand how she felt, but I don't get a sense of who Priscilla even is. She's so swallowed up by this relationship. And even when Elvis isn't on screen, it's about her feeling as though like she is trapped in this glass prison. I needed more of who Priscilla might be, even if it just meant like maybe a little bit more of her before she meets Elvis and before this was all overtaken by her. It just ends in a very perfunctory way. Yeah. But I, I think that's the point, though, Aisha. Eh, okay, but like, <laughs> no, no, your whole point of like, who is she outside of Elvis? How could she even know she's with him from the time she's right. 14, right? right? And I understand that. But what I would have liked, because even Kristen, before this, we were talking about there was a made for TV movie, mm-hmm. Elvis and Me, <laughs> that was based off of this that <laughs> we both came across. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that one, you get a little hint of who she is before she meets Elvis, whereas this literally opens with her sitting in a diner. At, on the military base or whatever, and like a man coming up to her and saying like, "Hey, do you want to go meet Elvis?" Uh, like, it, just to, <laughs> even just to get a sense of like what her likes and dislikes were before him, would have made me feel a little bit more like, okay, I understand how she got from like who she was before this. I had a very similar reaction to this film, I think, to you, Aisha, and and I definitely wrestled in the aftermath of this film. I wrestled with Kristen's point of. Wasn't that the idea? The fact Mm. that we never really know who she is seems to be a byproduct of the fact that she was swept into this world when she was 14 years old and not really ever given a chance to grow into her own identity and figure out who she is. And so she remains kind of this opaque, unknowable person throughout this film. And that can have a flattening effect when you're watching the, the movie play out. But it does play into some of the larger themes in this film that I think are established established really effectively. Yeah. There's a very very good scene in this film where Priscilla she's you know living at Graceland and she sees the the staff and the staff says, "Oh, Elvis left a present for you on the on the porch. Go go see it." And she goes out and there's a cute little dog surrounded by a tiny white picket fence. And I thought to myself, Oh, sure. She's basically that dog. She's his pet. Yes. For all the talk of like, there's this huge age difference. There is this, there is this kind of grooming component to their relationship, but there is also like, he just wants her to be compartmentalized, put away and be this person who greets him and reminds him of some past home that he once had. And that is an incredibly monstrously selfish thing for him to do. As much as the film can be a little slow and a little uneventful, and as Aisha said, it ends kind of abruptly, I think it does paint a really compelling picture of a certain kind of dysfunctional relationship where one party compartmentalizes the other party into oblivion. Mm -hmm. And I found myself really thinking about that in the days since I've seen this film. It's really stuck with me in that way. I did want to talk about the performance of Kaylee Spaney. What an effective piece of casting this is and how misbegotten this film could be if Kaylee Spaney did not manage to make herself perfectly look and act like a 14-year-old 
in the early scenes of this film, how effectively she conveys childhood and how many times I sat there looking at the screen and mouthed or even spoke out loud the words, that is a child. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And it drives home the point that I think we all agree on here that Elvis isn't necessarily a good guy here. He is deliberately Mm -hmm. sending his guys out to find underage girls, not young women. And that, I think, is really important in the movie. It makes it impossible for us to just think like, oh, he's a great romantic who fell in love with a pretty woman because he didn't. Yeah. There's also something, you know, like Stephen said, this could have been quite a minefield. Uh, You know, it's very tricky because what I liked about this film is that Priscilla is, she doesn't have a lot of agency, but she does have this energy of like, I am horny. I am a teenager. I want to have sex. And Elvis is, again, he just wants her as a pet. And he's like, no, no, no. I just want to kind of, you know, cuddle with you. And I don't want to have sex with you. And she's like, what about my needs? And I think it's there are some people who would say like she's 14, she's 15, however old she is, because the movie kind of spans a few years. But it's like teenage girls they're sexual beings. They can be sexual beings. But that also doesn't mean that they can't be manipulated. They can't also be victims in a way. And I I just really appreciated Kelly Spaney's performance here. God, they do such a beautiful job with hair and makeup yes. of yeah. making it look like they have put a grown woman's hair and makeup on a 14-year-old. Yes. I cannot express to you how effective the hair and makeup does at making her look like she is playing dress up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It looks like it weighs her down. Yes. Yeah. She looks yes. heavy. He- like, And, and that, that's also the point, mm-hmm. right? Is that she looks like this because Elvis is telling her to look like this. And at one point she's right. just like, this doesn't, I wouldn't wear it. He's like, no, you're going to wear this. And it's like, yeah. the weird thing is he's trying to make her look older so that he probably feels better about what he's doing. That's what I inferred from that. I, I think he yeah. wants her to look older partly because he is so fixated on the approval of his boys. So much of his life is, what do the guys oh think? Oh my God, so many guys. <laughs> so many guys. And then, does my girl fit in with the guys, right? Mm-hmm. It was the high school graduation scene in particular <laughs> that really hammered that home for me where, yeah. you know, it's literally a teenager graduating high school and Elvis shows up with his boys, you know, and they're all there and they're like, oh, you know, oh, congrats. Like, you know, you're out of high school. And (laughs) if they were like her uncles or something, but it's like, exactly, (laughs) exactly. It's so, it's so weird and jarring. And that's an element I think of Elvis's life that wasn't previously portrayed for me is that like him and his boys Mm. that his entire extended community was a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it captures how endlessly indulged he was at the same time that as he felt incredibly victimized, mm-hmm. which yeah. is a toxic cocktail. <laughs> what did you all think of Jacob Elordi as Elvis? He's he's a very tall Elvis, among other things. <laughs> he's very tall, but I think that that kind of drove the point home of the power imbalance in a way mm-hmm. between these yeah. two. Because her life experience with him is as you already said, Stephen, it's like being a pet. And when you see them physically next to each other, that really is obvious. She's a tiny girl. She's a pet. And he is a grown man. But I thought that was just symbolically really effective. Rihanna, you're a, you're a euphoria person, aren't you? I am. What did you, did you, were you able to separate the Jacob Elordi of Priscilla from the Jacob Elordi of Euphoria? No. 
<laughs> I do think because he's on Euphoria, there's like an implicit kind of teenager connection in my brain mm. that really contradicts with his size. So I, I think it's like a multi-layered casting thing there where I'm like, I didn't like his performance, but he brings sort of a juxtaposition in the portrayal of Elvis to the table that I, I can't really get mad at. It's very complicated for me. No, I, I agree. I liked him. I also think like Austin Butler was, he was good, but like Jacob Elordi is working with much better material here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I I don't know. He worked for me here. I, I do think one thing that he brings and one thing that he's able to kind of port over from Euphoria is this mix in a certain way that a certain kind of guy can be more menacing for how vulnerable he presents himself. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. And and I think that has kind of become a little bit of Jacob Elordi's stock and trade mm-hmm. is like a guy who like can present on the surface as a wounded puppy, but yeah. you flip a switch, as soon as he's not getting everything he wants, you have a problem. And I think every once in a while, though, the camera would cut to him. And I'm like, that doesn't look like Elvis at all. That looks like mm-hmm. the guy from Euphoria. Yeah. yeah no, I mean, I never I never for a second forgot that he was Jacob Lordy, But like. Exactly. But, you know, it, it, it worked for me. One last thing I wanted to get at was the way this film uses music. Ooh, um, yes. Because yes. Mm-hmm. Sofia Coppola didn't have the same access to the Elvis Presley uh, songbook catalog uh, recorded library. And so she did that Sofia Coppola thing of like dropping in a lot of anachronistic music. It's not era appropriate, but it's still kind of conveying a a, a mood. What did y'all think of the way this film used music? I mean, I'm still thinking about the ending scene that Aisha mentioned where she drives away listening to Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You. But I really appreciate it being used there because there's a a wistfulness to the way that Dolly sings it that I, I don't know, I appreciate being used. I love Sofia Coppola's music choices. They're historically always really great, always really on point. And I liked how it was used in the film And I liked how that music was used in the film rather than Elvis's because this wasn't Elvis's movie. We don't need to hear Elvis because he's so present in every other facet of Priscilla's life. So I I liked how other music was being used. I totally agree with that. And that final scene that you were just talking about, Rihanna, Mm -hmm. I have to also just add a level of context for anybody who doesn't know this. So Elvis Presley, at a certain point, his team approached Dolly Parton and said, Elvis wants to perform this song. Uh, the thing is, though, he does need to own at least half the rights to the song. Oh, wow. And Dolly Parton wow. famously said no to that. So to me, I, I mean, I wondered if people who didn't know the symbolism of that song, if it would hit them as as hard as it hit me, but it really hit me hard. I loved the movie because of that scene in particular. Mm. I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't either. And that scene hit yeah. me hard anyway. This application of the Dolly version is exactly the note to end on if you're going to end it that way. And I think, you know, the whole time I was watching this, I was just like, this and this is the Sofia Coppola style, but I think also just like this speaks to how much she has influenced so many other uh, artists in the last 20 years. But the whole time I was like, oh, this feels like a Lana Del Rey 
video like circa <laughs> summertime sadness like this is the the aesthetics the the sort of lo-fi filtered beautiful filter and then like you hear crimson and clover and it's like of course mm-hmm. this makes sense and and i think that the whole not having elvis's music here is a feature and not a bug and to to, to see him just kind of like always at home for the most part at graceland that to me is like a, a, a different way of viewing Elvis, and I appreciated that it, and not having the music there as well. I agree completely. Well, we want to know what you think about Priscilla. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH. Up next, what is making us happy this week? This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Third Love. Third Love makes solutions for every bra problem. Give yourself more lift, smoothing, and get straps that stay put. Every style's wear tested on real women, made from premium materials, with a virtual fitting room to help you find your perfect fit. Comfort and support are guaranteed. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. This message comes from NPR sponsor CarMax. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because CarMax believes you shouldn't just settle for a car, you should love your car. That's why every car they sell has CarMax certified quality, so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. Don't settle. Find love at first drive. Start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the official Hacks podcast from Max. Join the creators and showrunners of Hacks as they discuss each episode and speak with the cast and crew about the making of the series. Listen to the official Hacks podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Listening to the news can feel like a journey, but the 1A podcast guides you beyond the headlines and cuts through the noise. Listen to 1A, where we celebrate your freedom to listen by getting to the heart of the story together. Only from NPR. Now it's time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What is making us happy this week? Kristen Meinzer, what's making you happy this week? Well, what is making me happy this week is the official Gilded Age podcast from HBO. Yes, it sounds like I'm being paid by HBO to say this, but I'm not. This is a podcast (laughs) that accompanies the HBO TV show. And season two of the TV show just launched. I started listening to the podcast. And originally, I did it just out of curiosity, but I very quickly got hooked because it is hosted by TCM's Alicia Malone and Tom Myers from the Bowery Boys, and they bring so much context to the show. And there are all sorts of things that one might miss when watching the show or something that might jump out for a second and then you might forget about it. But on this podcast, they dive deep, you know. 
this location is an actual location that was historically built at this time by this person, and it is actually referencing this other thing. And there are a lot of details like that. And so as a big history nerd, as a lover of the Gilded Age, I love this podcast. Again, that's the official Gilded Age podcast from HBO. Wonderful. Thank you, Kristen Meinzer. Rihanna Cruz, what's making you happy this week? I have been absolutely invested in the TikTok videos of food influencer Keith Lee. He's doing a food tour of Atlanta. And oh, I heard about. Yeah. He's a food influencer who has the potential at this point to change the entire trajectory of a restaurant with a single review. Like there's been multiple examples where he goes to a restaurant. He's like, the marketing is garbage. There's nobody here. Tries the food and is like, it's incredible. And then the restaurant is packed the next day. <sighs> this week he's been in Atlanta and instead of coming out with like sweeping positivity and 10 out of 10s across the board, he's been met with so much drama. And <laughs> there's been multiple reviews this week where he like tees it up. And then he's like, as you can see, there's no food in my hands. Here's what happened. <laughs> and it has the city and the restaurant scene of Atlanta up in flames. Like I've been following it on Twitter because it's so funny. Atlanta restaurants have so many rules. And so he's many. like, yeah. And that's the issue. Like, he's pulling up to these places and they're like oh it's a two hour wait oh your whole party needs to be here oh you can't DoorDash or do takeout orders or call in on the phone so you have to show up and it's like all of these different rules and Keith Lee's thing is that he wants to be a normal person he doesn't want special treatment mm -hmm. so he shows up to all these places with his family and you know sees where it goes from there and he's just been met with rules and drama and and chaos so um i recommend checking his stuff out because i'm not really into like you know the whole food influencer thing but he got me <laughs> tapped in nice so that's keith lee on tiktok thank you rihanna cruz aisha harris what's making you happy this week I really got into, I, I binged uh, the entire six episodes of Bargain, which is a Korean drama series um, that's been compared to Squid Game, a show I have not seen, but maybe I will finally check it out. I don't know. <laughs> this show really got me so invested. It's capitalist satire meets disaster epic. And I think the less you know about it, the better. But I'll just say that in the first episode, it begins with a young woman who's auctioning off her virginity to this man mm. in a hotel room. And then the first episode ends with an earthquake and the hotel collapsing upon itself, leaving everyone in the building to fight for survival. <laughs> Rihanna's Oh face. my God. <laughs> I'm so gagged. I will yes. be watching this. Yes. Okay. So it's also shot to look like it's all in one take each episode. So like it plays kind of like a video game, but you're also constantly switching perspectives of various characters and it's fun and it's weird and it's dark. You should definitely check it out. So that's Bargain, Korean drama series. Go check it out on Paramount+. Plus. I will be that tuning in. <laughs> you have successfully sold this panel. Absolutely. Absolutely. Show. I'm tapped in. Nice. So what's making me happy this week, right now, this is always the time of year where the entire NPR music team is frantically trying to catch up on all the music that we missed over the course of the, the calendar year. But I did something I almost never do at this time of year. I 
peaked at next year and started listening to songs from an album I am so, so, so excited about by a singer-songwriter I absolutely love named Maddie Diaz. She's been in the industry for about 15 years, but just a couple years ago, she put out a record called History of a Feeling that just absolutely snapped into focus the best of everything she's done to this point where she's just getting better and better and better. That record is fantastic. Her new album is coming out in February, and it's called Weird Faith. She kind of describes it as like a concept album about the beginning of a new chapter. She's like, quote, the unwilling flailing and ultimate trust fall into love. It's about saying every feeling out loud the second I felt it for better or worse because I can't help it. This album exists between the time you say I love you and the moment they say it back or don't. Mm. And the first single from this record is out now. It's called Same Risk. Throw me under the bus Make me take the hit for the both of us All that I'm asking is Are we taking the same risk? So that's Maddie Diaz. Her new album is coming out in February. It's called Weird Faith. She is awesome, and I can't wait for people to hear the whole thing. That is what is making me happy this week. If you want links for what we recommended, plus some more recommendations, sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter. That brings us to the end of our show. Kristen Meinzer, Rihanna Cruz, Aisha Harris, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you for Thank having you. me. This episode was produced by Ramel Wood and edited by Mike Katzif. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy, and Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Stephen Thompson, and we will see you all next week. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.